2: It's Falcons flyover With John Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back in the key studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is John Chuckery Show hanging out on this Thursday evening with you. 404-726-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Uh, at JMCH316 on Twitter. He's at the D. D. Lewis for real on Twitter. Tonight, look at all things Atlanta Falcons. It is the Falcons flyover. So, as of right now, Matt Hennessy has been taking the first team reps at left guard for this team. And look, I've, I've said it very clearly. I have my concerns about having Hennessy and Dahlman stand side by side with one another and defensive linemen pushing us backward. I, I don't like that combination. I want to see Bergeron. And I hope he can win the job. Now, again, a lot goes into it. He's a rookie. He's never played guard. I get all that. But physically, I don't want to see us get manhandled. And that's Hennessy and Dahlman. Well, they did, they played well together at times. Okay, they played a couple of games. It, it's, again, folks, 17 weeks of it ain't two or three. But When teams get film and they see what your weaknesses and your strengths are, they can game plan for you. And the two things about Hennessy and Dahlman when they did play all season was they got pushed backward. But what do you think those two guys locking arms with one another side-by-side side becomes? Now, again, you know, I, I hope Bergeron can find a way to win it. I think he's big enough, physical enough, and obviously, look, it's going to be the challenge of can he adapt to a new position? how many times have we talked about this and you saw it with Jalen Mayfield this isn't beer league softball it's not you and your buddies on Saturday afternoon and your third baseman was hung over and he didn't show up so you take your uh, right fielder and put him at third base and you get by with it it's a little bit different than that when it comes to you know the NFL and playing in Major League Baseball and Things like that. Like things just aren't that easy in the NFL. So I get that. I, I get that concept with Bergeron. And again, we saw this the last time where things did not work out very well when it was, you know, um, Jalen Mayfield. So I, I hope Bergeron can find a way to win the job. I, I hope that he ends up taking it. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not saying I don't like Hennessy and I don't necessarily, you know, again, Dolman kind of is what he is. I'm, I'm not. I, I'll have to see more out of Drew Dahlman to to be impressed enough yet. But um, I just don't like the idea of those two guys being side-by-side side and potentially getting pushed around uh, out of all of So we'll see what happens. But obviously for right now, he's going to get the first-team reps, Bergeron and uh, somebody else. Uh, I don't even know who – somebody else who's, you know, either going to be just a swing interior offensive lineman or not make the team is, uh, is going to be the other guy. So um, – all right, let's get to some audio here. Let's uh, start with Drake London, uh, where he's talking about how they can't beat themselves.
1: Uh, you know, gather people around uh, when we do have those mistakes and make sure that we don't do it again and just understand that that we can't be beating ourselves, you know. We can live with somebody beating us and uh, making a great play because everybody's great athletes at this level, but um, I would just say that we can't be beating ourselves piece that way.
2: Well, that goes back to the fumble, right? I mean, that's something that Drake London cannot do, moving forward.
0: Wasn't it actually two?
2: Yes. Back to back. Wasn't it like back to back weeks? Back to back weeks. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yes, can't do that. Can't do that when you're a high-profile wide receiver. Can't put the ball on the turf when you're a high-profile wide receiver and you're one of your top targets. So I I get all that, and that's let. Let's hope that that's accountability with it. You know that he's the one being accountable for it. Here's uh, Drake Lennon talking about his comfortability in year two in the NFL. Just comfortability is
1: huge. Um, and being out here knowing to, what to expect uh, is a huge thing. So I wouldn't say I could relax, but I just know what's coming. And I, and I could take it head on.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, um, obviously he got a lot of playing time last year. You know, he saw the field a lot for, for this team. So uh, led the league in, you know, or sorry, led the team um, in targets with 117. So he got a lot of exposure last year and, you know, again, you can get through all the camps and and stuff like that. But the fact is, is that, you know, he played a lot last year. He played all 17 games, started 15 games, 117 targets that came his way. He got a lot of valuable experience and he had a good year. I mean, you know, look, he had a good year. Was it a great year? You know, was it, was it, was it, um, you know Chris Olave or uh, who's the other guy from Ohio State? Garrett Wilson, was it those guys? No, but we didn't throw the football like those teams do. So anyway, are are they going to throw the football more now in New York with uh, a Aaron at quarterback than what they did? Oh, okay. And those guys still played pretty well. Who was their quarterback last year? Who was who was uh, Garrett Wilson's uh, with with the Jets? Was, was it him or was it Olave? Was Garrett Wilson was the guy for the Jets, right?
0: What at quarterback? quarterback? No, no, you said no, oh he no, said. No, no,
2: no, no. Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver out of Ohio State. Oh, okay.
0: You said who was the quarterback? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm asking uh, who the
2: quarterback was when. One, yeah. once they once they had um, once they had their high draft pick uh, go down. Uh, oh crap! crap I gotta
0: oh, after Zach. Oh, yeah. I don't,
2: yeah. Once once Zach Wilson uh, went down. Uh, yeah, I don't
0: know who it was after Zach.
2: Uh, so they only had so they only had Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, Mike White, Chris. Streveler, oh, yeah, that's right. It was Flacco. Um, yeah. Brayton Mann and Braxton Berrios.
0: Yeah, it was Flacco. Yeah, they mm-hmm. only had
2: six guys play quarterback last <laughs> year. So, uh, again, but even with, even with Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, Mike White throwing to him, did uh, Garrett Wilson have a pretty good year? 83 catches, 1,103 mm-hmm. yards, 13.3 yep. yards per reception and four touchdowns. Not a bad year. Not a bad year. By the way, it wasn't 1,026. He had 1,300. Anyway, sorry. I'm I'm getting off on these tangents, whatever like that. So uh, let's hear from Drake London. Defensive line is better, which allows the secondary to play tighter, which makes me better. Oh, yeah, most definitely.
1: Um, Type of defense allows the corners to play more aggressive, and I think that's helping me a lot tremendously this camp. I mean, you can see out there I'm not getting too much of what I usually get. And um, that's only going to help me in the long run. Maybe frustrated here and there, but I got to battle through it because we got guys on the other side who could really play, and um, I'm excited to go against them every day.
2: Well, we talk about these guys. Look, I mean, when you get a chance to play against A.J. Terrell and Jeff Okuda, you know, that's two pretty good corners. I mean, again, Okuda's had his ups and downs and really a lot of injury related stuff, but, but A.J. Terrell has been a very solid corner in this league. And, you know, when you get to go against guys like that, it does make you better as a wide receiver. You know, you got to work harder to get off the ball. You got to work harder to get open. You got to work harder, you know, to try to, you know, get yourself in a position to catch the football. So um, I definitely think that that is a byproduct of everything. And, you know, A.J. Terrell matched up on Drake Lennon. That's a good matchup. Like, that's a, that's a matchup where you like to see those guys go one-on-one with one another and see who can be, you know, better at the end of the day. All right, let's uh hear from Grady Jarrett as um, – uh Time will tell how good we really are.
3: Time will tell, you know, time will tell. And uh, we got to put the work in day in and day out to uh, be the best unit we can be. You know, you know what I'm saying? It ain't just about, you know, me going out there making it happen for, you know what I'm saying? Myself, we, we all work as a unit, you know. So um, the better the group
2: is, the better whole defense is. And uh, we'll see how it turns out to be. Well, look, I like the idea of Grady being pragmatic like that. He's been here for the highs, the Super Bowl the second-round playoff, and he's been here for the lows the last couple of years. You know, he's been through all the battles and all the wars, and I got no issue with him being pragmatic because, again, he knows. You know, he, he knows about expectations, and he knows about, you know, the way the NFL works. And, look, he's not a young player anymore. I'm not saying he's an old man or what have you, but when you look at Grady, he's a real veteran On this team nowadays. You know, he's one of the guys that, you know, has been around for a long time. This is what his uh, two, four, six. This will be his ninth year in the league. Ninth year. Think about that. Think about Grady Jarrett is now in his ninth season with the Atlanta Falcons. That's a pretty good run with one team as a defensive player. That's a pretty good run. And again, you don't get that—you don't get nine years with one squad if you're not a player. So I like—I like what he says about being pragmatic about this whole thing. All right, is Grady talking about uh, the value of having other vets around besides myself?
3: Not necessarily, you know. Um... I'm going to always be me, be myself, and uh, but it has been good having uh, other vets around that's had different experiences because, um, you know, I get to learn from them as well, you know. So um, I think that's probably the main difference, not being the oldest guy in the room and um, also having guys that was, in, that was in my draft class or a year behind, just a lot a lot of vet presence. That's as far as the defensive line room and as far as the whole team, I mean, we've got guys on both sides of the ball who play a lot of football and um, everybody I can't be everywhere at once. One person can't be everywhere at once, so it's good to have – Um, a leader in each room, you know, um, to, you know, be the voice for whatever unit they're in charge of, and we all come together, and it's a a, a band.
2: It's a group of guys. Is he the only guy left from the Super Bowl team? He's got to be, right? Like, it came down to Josh Harris, Deion Jones, Matt Ryan, were the last few – no, no, Jake. Jake. Jake Matthews. So we got Jake Matthews and Grady Jarrett. And so, again – when you're talking about knowing this franchise and knowing the ups and downs of this franchise, he knows better than anybody. He knows better than anybody on this team about how good it can be and how low it can be. So, uh, again, I, I, I love Grady Jarrett. I, I think he's one of the more underrated players in the entire of the NFL. Um, I think he really is the heart and soul of this defense. I mean, again, he may not be the best player on defense, He's the real heart and soul of this team. Uh, here's Grady talking about: We have to put the work in every day, and if we do, we will get what we want
3: uh, to be the best we can be. As long as we handle our business, we're going to be where we want to be, you know. And um, all that I means is just us putting our work in day in day out, and I think we can have a lot of success. And uh, only time will tell, but we can't uh, let a day go by, you know, without putting in the work, without having the preparation, because nobody's going to give us anything. But uh, everything we want to do and achieve is attainable.
2: I agree. Uh, again, I, I can't disagree with what, what Grady Jarrett had to say there. All right, Richie Grant talking about the defensive line is nasty. It's like an iron curtain. I mean,
4: nasty. You heard about the iron curtain? <laughs> yeah, we got one of those out there. They are, they are, and they, they all hungry, man. They all trying to, they competing to get to the quarterback. It's, it's definitely some energy
2: on that D-line. Okay, I will say to Richie Grant what the Ghostbusters said. We are ready to believe you. I want to see it. I want a nasty defensive line. I want a 40-sack team. Day-Day, have I ever brought up about sacks and things like that, about you know their importance and where we're at and what the stats say and everything else? The more else? You look
5: at the advanced huh? analytics, the more you see how valuable sacks are. Oh,
2: okay. Okay. Yeah. Funny. Funny, I've brought it up for years. Funny, I didn't have to have analytics bring it up. Funny, I, I didn't I, I've been saying it for years. Who gives you all the numbers, Day Day? You chuck. Yeah, exactly. You damn skippy I do. Anyway, do we have to dump that? <laughs> all right. Uh here's Richie Grant talking about how he's thankful for Jesse Bates being here and it makes me better. It's
4: a blessing in disguise. I mean, I've been just been praying to God about uh my career and, and just being patient and then they brought a guy like him in. Bro, that's the best that could happen to me. He's been playing uh, safety at a high level for five years. I had my first season last year. And all he, all he has done since he's been here is just help us, the entire group. He's throwing out his uh everything he's learned, you know, definitely during game, but even off the field, stuff he does, his routine, stuff like that. And we all just buying into it because obviously he's been playing at a high level. So we want to be the same. We want to do the same thing.
2: Well, again, I mean, Jesse Bates is going to start. So that means either, you know, either Richie Grant. Or um, God, my brain just went dead. Um, the other safety that uh, that we've that we've had uh, back there. Um, uh, Talking about
0: Jalen Hawkins,
2: Jalen Hawkins, yeah. One of those two guys are going to get that starting job. It's not 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 in stone that you know it's going to be Grant for sure. So again, there's good competition back there, and we know Bates is going to start. So he's putting the pressure on Richie Grant to have to try to be better in all this. All right. Here's Grant uh, talking about wanting to be a bigger factor this year.
4: I just want to be a more of a factor. You know, I know what I can do. Um, it's about trusting everybody and them trusting me, so I can be in my own position. You know, and just making plays.
2: Well, look, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is what we want. Um, I think we have two. I think we had two pretty good young safeties, and I want to see those guys step their game up. So we'll see what happens at the end of the day. Right, as Grady uh, Jarrett said. So. All right, when we come back, uh, National College Football Recruiting Analyst John Garcia Jr. will join us here, and uh, we'll talk some college foosball with him. Chuck Green, Studios, Sports Radio, nineteen nine the Game, Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, back at a Chuckery Show, hanging out in the Key Studios on this Thursday night with you. 404-726-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Well, all the conferences, major conferences at least, getting their media days in the book. So the regular season is going to be right around the corner here. So it's not going to be long before toe meets leather as far as a new college football season. Let's head out. To the Wade dot hotline, Atlanta Ford dealers talk to our buddy John Garcia Jr., national college football recruiting analyst for Rivals. You can follow him on his personal Twitter page at John Garcia underscore Jr. John, as always, buddy, appreciate a few minutes uh, in Atlanta this evening.
5: Yeah, good to be on with you. I was I uh, was just in the ATL yesterday for the the big high school media day, so uh, coming back around quick in, in SEC country. I love it.
2: Yeah, you know, I I saw a story um, and, and you'd retweeted it about the. Um, the uh, Hiram offensive lineman, who uh, Jamison Riggs, who uh, committed to Georgia Tech over Clemson, Auburn, and, and other schools, is. Are, are you starting to see some effects from Brent Key as far as getting some better quality kids, getting you know some some guys that are now committing to? it? I mean, are you seeing some change in the recruiting for Georgia Tech?
5: Absolutely. You know, I, I think the you know, the potential's always been there and your audience knows that better than, than I can explain. But I think what Brent Key brings is that combination of, you know, been there, done that, you know, in the SEC at Bama, all, all those things. But also I, I think the, the youth and kind of the modernness he brings to the to the recruiting game resonates with these kids. And if there's one position where you feel like Georgia Tech's gonna out recruit expectation it's got to be the offensive line, you know. So going head-to-head with Auburn and Clemson, normally you would say, "Oof, good luck to the Jackets. But for an offensive lineman, especially an Atlanta area or an in-state guy like like Riggs, you feel better about your chances from the GT perspective. So I think in that scenario, it makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, this class is shaped up really well. Top 25 right now. On the rivals dot com team ranking, that, and that's just not something we expect every single cycle with with tech. so so the numbers are there to to back up that expectation.
2: Talk to me a little bit um because you do know so much about this. Talk to me a little bit about some of the other schools in the state. And I'm not talking about Georgia. Look, Georgia's at <laughs> a completely different level from even every other program in America, right? like it's it's almost sure. NFL recruiting. I mean, at this at this point. But, Talk to me about the Georgia States, the Kennesaws. Like, you know, are are kids staying home to go to those schools? As programs have gotten better, are you seeing more kids from the Atlanta area just gravitating to those schools? I mean, has the recruiting picked up for everybody in the state with Georgia's success? I mean, give give me sort of the landscape view of, of how recruiting has happened through Atlanta and Georgia, and especially because we have so many good players in this state. I think that's the key,
5: right? You know, Atlanta has almost simultaneously with Georgia's specific rise has become arguably a top two or three or four metro area to recruit in the country. You know, a lot of teams have always benefited from it, but that that secret is is out. So I would say it, it might even be harder for the Kennesaws and the Georgia States to keep those kids home because it's not just, you know, the South Carolinas, Tennessees, and Kentuckys that are coming down. Now you're getting... You know, Michigan's got kids committed from Buford. You got, you know, the rest of the Big Ten. Ohio State is, is heavy in there. You got schools in the Big 12, you know, coming east uh, to, to Atlanta to recruit. So I think it's become uh, such a, a well-established spot that it's a little bit harder for those schools to to get the commitments early on. Uh, and I think that's, that's the key for them anyway, right? You know, in a talent-rich state, you've got to evaluate early and, and kind of trust your gut with those evaluations be the first school to offer if you're georgia state if you're georgia southern if you're if you're kennesaw state you got to be the first couple schools in there to really have a shot because you know lo and behold uh schools miss on recruits and you know indiana comes down to atlanta in november and says hey you know this kid's been committed to georgia state for six months but he's pretty darn good you know and then then you lose a recruit at the 11th hour so if anything i think it the success and the notoriety makes it that much more difficult for those other schools to keep those recruits in-state. Same thing we saw in Alabama Uh, with their rise. You know, the UABs of the world, the Troys of the world, were having a really hard time uh, keeping recruits in-state. We saw it in Florida uh, with those dynasties prior. So uh, it's really become uh, kind of a double-edged sword in that regard.
2: So uh, John Garcia, Jr., uh, joining us here on the WadeFord.com hotline, National College Football Recruiting analyst. For rivals. So on the flip side of that, though, are you seeing where schools like the Alabamas and the Auburns and Tennessees are having a harder time making headway in, in the state? Um, I mean, obviously Georgia's you know ruling the football world right now. But are are schools that have come in and had success because again we we talk about basketball. And, and I never understand why. Well, again, mostly because Georgia's not a very good basketball program. But, you know, again, it, it's been such a bugaboo that it, from the basketball standpoint, there's so much talent in the state and in Atlanta, but we don't keep many of it, in much of it in state. It all goes to Auburn and Alabama and Ohio State and places like that. From the football aspect of it, are you seeing kids committing more to schools in state now with the rise of Georgia? Are Programs like Alabama, you know Auburn and things like that, having trouble making headway in some of the state now.
5: Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. You know, look, Alabama is always going to have a shot, right? I right. think that's the one school where you feel like it could still be almost a coin flip between an Atlanta native and, and it goes the other way too, right? Birmingham natives who get that Georgia offer early are headed over there, right? You know, look at George Pickens, Lassiter's a great corner right now. I mean, there's a lot of Alabamians that are making plays in Athens, so it does go both ways. But I think for everybody else, yeah, it's incredibly uphill uh, because you're competing with, like you said, a, a program that is basically selecting their their next crop of recruits, So especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's really where – if you want to come in and win uh, against Georgia, it's got to be a heck of a long-term plan like uh, Sammy Brown, you know, from, from Jefferson, who's committed to Clemson. You know, that was a long-term two- or three-year recruitment uh, that, that Dabo Sweeney had to, you know, get involved in on his own to, to come in and win uh, for for a guy in this area. So it does happen. It just doesn't happen very often, especially on defense. Uh, and that's what comes with, with success, right? These kids, we, we forget. As you know, as, as older college football fans and sports fans in general, you know these kids don't remember. They don't have the history, the knowledge that we do of other programs being great. I mean, there's there's kids coming up in high school ball right now that don't remember Cam Newton uh, winning that Heisman mm-hmm. Trophy and, and going on that crazy run. They don't remember Tebow, RG3, Johnny Football. So uh, the recent runs really carry more weight than than we could really imagine because the target demographic is, is so young and obviously so impressionable.
2: Let me ask you uh, this question. I meant to ask this ab- about when, when I had you on the show last time, Dylan Riola, you know, heading uh, to Buford uh, high school, and they are certainly one of the legacy programs, you know, in the state of Georgia and certainly, yeah. you know, one of the legacy programs in the Metro area. Again, he's going to end up going to Georgia, but what, what does it mean for him to go to a Buford to be closer in state? Like, what what is the biggest thing about that kind of move and getting into the state and into the high school football program that benefits Georgia the most out of this?
5: I think for for Georgia, what what benefits is is the name, right? I mean, the the one one of the few positions where Georgia hasn't had that banner um, recruit, you know, from wire to wire representing the Dawgs has been quarterback. A lot of the great quarterbacks in the state of Georgia have departed, right? You can rattle them off, you know, to Trevor Lawrence, Sean Watson, uh, even Justin Fields via the portal uh, a year into his Georgia career. So for him to be sort of waving that flag before his senior season begins at such a notable national program, I think says a lot uh, for Georgia. And then for Dylan, this is such a step up in competition. You know, uh, he's played in, in Texas at a small level. He's played in Arizona. I mean, playing at Buford is going to be its own animal. Um, and by all indication, he has absolutely hit the ground running despite all of the eyeballs and all of the pressure that comes with it, which I think you know sort of reflects his lofty ranking and, and, and unanimous five-star status. So I think it helps on both fronts, and it'll certainly help with recruiting overall, right? Easy, quick trip up to Athens for we would expect every home game to help be an extension of, of that coaching staff. Dylan's a very, you know, high energy, uh, you know, nudge you kind of kid, joke with you kind of kid. So he's the type of personality that others do gravitate towards as well. So I do think this has benefits for both Dylan making the cross-country move and, of course, Georgia to sort of, uh, you know, get that perception a little bit more on track, um, you know, relative to the, to the last five, ten years or so.
2: John, I want to ask you about a, another program that that I am very intrigued by this year. And and I, you know, I, I host our. I'm one of the hosts for our college football show on Saturdays through the fall. And I, I really always tend to latch on to a a team that you know isn't Georgia, you know, or Alabama or something like that 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 could make the playoff. And I'm I'm fascinated this year by Florida State. And I think that there is a lot of old school about Florida State this year. A, a, a terrific quarterback in Jordan Travis, Sermon coming back. I mean Jared Verse is one of the most, you know, dominant defensive players in the country. Maybe could have been a first round pick in the NFL draft last year. You know, yeah. Mike Norvell's got some good things going down there and it's taken him a few years. And I do think college football's better with a Florida State being a really good program. Have you seen an uptick in their recruiting? How much excitement has there been around Florida State to have a team that can contend again, and is that bringing kids in, you know, to the school again?
5: Absolutely it is. You know, we, we just talked about how perception so important to these recruits, and you, you talk to a kid in, in Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Jacksonville, wherever it is, whatever city it is in Florida, they know Florida State has it right now within state lines, and that's such a big deal between, you know, Miami and, and the University of Florida itself. Uh, so FSU having that cachet and that perception it is a huge deal uh, for recruiting, and naturally they're they're off to a really strong start. I think tomorrow they're going to get their class headliner, and five star Charles Lester. They, they've got um, a great group already on board, and, and they've done incredible work in state uh, and beyond. You know they've done really well in South Georgia. They flipped Landon Thomas from the Georgia Bulldogs, kid out of a uh, uh, Colquitt County, and, and then look, you talk about relevance, uh, especially in this this market that we're on right now. I mean, Florida State is the trendy school for for K.J. Bolden out of Buford. I mean, this is a Georgia-FSU, maybe Ohio State battle with with about a week to go. And talking to K.J. yesterday, I mean, he he lights up talking about Florida State. So I do think that um, they're hot right now. Everybody recognizes it, uh, certainly within the state. But it stretches even beyond. And that's when schools get dangerous, you know, even for Georgia. Think of LSU in 2019, Florida State in their heyday. To be great, you, you've got to recruit beyond your state, even if you're in such a great state like, like all these schools are. And FSU certainly has that opportunity if uh, reality meets the expectation that, that has been bubbling uh, ahead of
2: the season. Last question for you, John. Um, you know, Tennessee had a magical year last year. And, again, besides just the winning they with Josh Heipel there, they're a dynamic offense. Like they, they have a lot of weapons, but but they also play a really good style of offense. And they are a very much attack mode type of offense. Yeah. When when you have when you have something like that, and you have a coach like that in place, how much do you start to see kids really gravitate to the idea of it's not just the success, but the style that a coach brings to a big program like a Tennessee
5: absolutely look if you're a quarterback a receiver a tight end um, even an offensive lineman you want to go fast you want to put pressure on the defense and and there's not a lot of programs uh, illustrating that better than than Tennessee did in in 2022 so that stuff absolutely not only flips perception but it changes reality and it increases your ceiling at those positions in particular and you look at it uh, they brought in a five-star quarterback last year they just got five-star Mike Matthews from, from Parkview. You don't, you don't win those battles without a true uptick, uh, not only in perception, but in that reality. And, and look, it's fun, right? I mean, these kids yeah. all come up now playing seven-on-seven. Seven, uh, it, it's street ball, right? You know, hey, go down. And there, there's, there's two guys down there. Whichever one he breaks towards, I'm throwing to the other 50 yards down the field. That's what we're doing, in, you know, in the playground, right? So to have offenses that emulate that and really push the ball vertically with success it's something that's always going to resonate. So it's not a huge surprise to see Tennessee recruiting well after this breakout season again, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, and it's carried over to defense as well. There's there's a lot of buzz in Knoxville, and, and uh, recruiting has, has followed along suit as as one may expect.
2: John Garcia Jr., national college football recruiting analyst for Rivals. You can follow him on his personal Twitter page at John Garcia underscore Jr and he joined me here on the WadeFord.com hotline. John, as always, buddy, appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes in Atlanta. Good conversation as always. We will chat again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. You got it. When we come back, it will be time for What's Bugging Chuckery. I mean, doesn't everybody have an epiphany when $10 million is floating out there? Heads uh, up next, the Key Studios, Sports Radio 929 The Game, Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio, 92.9, The Game, back at a Chakras show, hanging out in the Key Studios on a Thursday night with you. 404-726-0929. That is our Sodom and Brothers Diamond Tech sign to be a part of the show. Uh, obviously, we got another day out at uh, Falcons training camp. Uh, we'll hear from A.J. Terrell coming up at the uh, top of the hour, but uh, another day at training camp tomorrow. So uh, we'll wrap up the week uh, up there with the – Regular crew, the Morning Shaft, uh, the Chuck House, uh, Dandy and Randy, uh, and then, of course, Dukes and Bell will be at the Hooters at the Mall of Georgia. Um, six straight shows that they will have there. So,
0: You um, sure you don't want to go hang out at Flowery at least one day next week? Me uh, I, Too I,
2: I've, no? I've got to work. Uh, yeah, I because radio has been so successful, <laughs> stop, I have to work. <laughs> so, again, um, yeah, not that I – not that I want, you know, to work an extra nine hours a day, but, you know, it's kind of a requirement. You know, necessity, no, so, Duly noted. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's my response to all of that. So anyway, um, we will have shows this weekend from Flowery Branch, too. So, uh, well, are, we're not going to have anything just on Saturday. Yeah. yeah, just
0: Saturday. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: So it's not going to be Randy and I up at, uh, on Sunday. No. Randy and I have done that. Randy and I, we've 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 been Sunday, we've been Randy and I've been Sundays at Flowery Branch, um, so, uh, so we will have Dylon. W- where was, uh, where was Dylon? So Dylon's on the morning shaft now. Where was he mm-hmm. before? Can't remember.
0: Oh, with you?
2: Oh, <laughs> oh, I didn't see him very often. So again, I can't, <laughs> I can't speak for uh, all of that. So, um. And by the way, too, you can catch their, uh, what's this thing called? The
0: Peachtree Football.
2: Peachtree Football Podcast. Uh, Peachtree Football with Dylon Matthews and Bo Morgan. They're both from the morning shaft, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. So, well, we know that they have an extra hour because their show isn't four hours anymore, right? That's, that's why they've got the extra time to do podcasts because they don't do I, four hours anymore.
0: I guess. But I don't okay. even know when they actually record the podcast.
2: I'm just busting agates. I'm just being. I A. know. Tr- <laughs> truthfully, I'm just being an a-hole. Um, so, uh, and that's my goal uh, in life. So, anyway, uh, but we will have Dylon and Chris Goforth, and uh, well, Dylon will be from camp, um, from eight to ten. Chris Goforth and Mike Johnson, who will be doing pre-post and half for the Atlanta Falcons radio network, they will be at Falcons training camp from ten to noon, and then um, of course we'll have coverage all next week. We'll be up at Training camp all five days next week. So the morning shaft, Chuck House, Dandy and Randy, and, uh, of course, Dukes and Bell will be at the Hooters at the uh, Mall of Georgia. And then um, that Saturday, believe it or not, we've got uh, Andy Bunker and Bo Morgan that will be up there at uh, training camp. And then um, Chris Goforth and Mike Johnson. So the unholy lions of Andy Bunker and Bo Morgan will be, will be together up there August 3rd, yeah August 5th. And I think that, what, the following Friday, because, again, the Falcons' first preseason game is two weeks from f- tomorrow, right?
0: Yeah, what, is, that the ele- is that the 11th, whatever that Friday is? I think that's the, f- the 11th, I think, is that Friday?
2: Um, yes, yes, the 11th, yes. Yes, because Friday, next Friday is the 4th, and yeah, then the so following the Friday 11th, will be yep. the 11th. So, um, so we'll have shows all weekend long, and we'll be up there all week uh, with everybody. So uh, good times uh, from Flowery Brand. So I'll be working. Uh, for a living, so, but we'll be we'll be we'll be in our home away from home. Um, where was it that we were going this week for the shows? Um, we're going to what was the bar and grill, that we're going to
0: it's talking about me and you. Yeah, yeah. It's called here, huh? Here. What? Here. Where? Cafe here. Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> right. Well, at least we're getting out and about. Um, so, at least we can see the exoticness of the parking deck. Um, so it's a whole new ball game with that. So anyway, um, so we'll talk, we'll, uh, hear from AJ Terrell coming up at the top of the hour and uh, we'll react to what he said. And uh, we'll also hear from Grady Jarrett. Um, so AJ was on with, uh, Andy and Randy. I know hey, yeah, was, uh, was, uh, yeah. was Grady on with Andy and Randy as well, or was he on with Dukes uh, and Bell?
0: No, Grady, I think Grady was actually on with Andy and Randy. I got to okay. double check. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, so we'll hear from, uh, from those guys. So. Uh, and wasn't uh, uh, was Jeff Okuda on with one of the guys?
0: Yeah, they, yeah, he was on with the one of them as well. You know, Dukes and Bell didn't have anybody because they were at Hooters, so they didn't they didn't actually have any. Yeah, Falcons
2: I mean, practice was over yeah. by the time they. I mean, practice usually wraps up in yeah, the morning. And ain't
0: so. nobody going to Hooters to hang out with them. No, no players. I mean,
2: no, no, no. But uh, but they do get but you know, like last year they got they got some audio of the yeah interviews yeah they yeah did, yeah, so yeah yeah they did some they did some short interviews with some of the guys as they came off the field. Uh, for practice, so um, again, uh, we're not we're, <laughs> we're not going to overachieve like that. So, anyway, all right, let's get to uh, what's bugging Chuckery. If this hasn't been it by now, don't look now, but somebody out there just got Chuckery ticked off. <laughs> like that's hard. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It's time for what's bugging Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. So, Saquon Barkley has signed his um adjusted franchise tag uh earlier to or no yeah yesterday uh it was um it's a 1-year deal for 10.1 million with close to an additional 1 million in available incentives uh it also included a 2 million dollar upfront signing bonus and he said here that quote, "I can sit here and lie to you and be like I wasn't disappointed or I wasn't this or that um that would be just a flat-out lie. But I am mature enough to understand that it's a business, understand that deals don't get done every single year. And he said, specific to my position, we didn't get a deal done. Me and my team felt we were in good faith trying to get a deal done. The Giants felt like they were in good faith trying to get a deal done. That's life. Sometimes you don't come to an agreement. I had come to a decision, and like I said, I had an epiphany I had a mindset of what I was going to do. I changed my mind. Yeah, when you've got $10 million on the table, okay, yeah, I can have an epiphany about that too. Yeah, gee, hey, is playing for the Giants and making 10 million, 10.1, to be exact, $10.1 million better than sitting out, not playing, potentially getting fined, whatever. Let's see. Um, I don't play and I miss out on $10 million, or I sign the tender with a playoff team that I'm a big part of and get my $10 million. Gee, that's a real epiphany, isn't it? I mean, with all due respect, Running backs are not going to be valued the same as quarterbacks and things. And I do think that they're – I do think we're starting to see I, – I I, don't know how – I don't know what, what other way to, to phrase this, but a jealousy factor. Because you don't have to be very good to get a $40 million contract. You don't have to be one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL to get a $40 million contract. Hell, again – Derek Carr, got a $40 million contract, right? From the Raiders. How good is he? How many Super Bowls has he won? How many playoff games has he won? How many playoffs has he even been to? So again, it's all about who's next. And with running backs, the way the position is looked at is you better get your money now. And I understand he wants a long-term deal, and he feels like he has value in this, that, and the other. But guess what? The league is not going to all of a sudden change its stripes. You know, now the league is a passing league. It's a pass-first league. Well, guess who's benefiting? Quarterbacks and wide receivers. That's what happens when the league becomes a pass-first league. The running back doesn't have the same cachet as it did I don't know, say 1978, when it was Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, Earl Campbell, Tony Dorsett, right? When it was some of the greatest of all time, Walter Payton, right? The greats of the greats. But that's not the way it is anymore in the NFL. And you're not giving a whole bunch of money to somebody that you're going to run them into the ground in a few years, right? Like you're not going to overpay somebody to run them into the ground knowing that their career is going to get shortened knowing you're on borrowed time with running backs right knowing that you got you you have guys that are you know again maybe not going to be here necessarily for the long term because you're going to run them into the ground and, and by the way you know Barkley Barkley missed 3 games in 2019 he missed 14 games in 2020. He missed three games in 2021. So what's that? He's missed 23 games in his career in five years? Okay. Like, that's a lot. No matter how you slice it. I give him credit. He was a monster last year. 16 starts. To, uh, by the way, he missed a game last year. 16 starts, 295 yards. Uh, sorry, 295 attempts, 3, 1,312 yards. No doubt about it. But you're not going to overpay for these guys at 26, 27, 28 years old, and you're going to run them into the ground, and they're not going to be valuable anymore to you. And then what do you have? So, again, everybody has an epiphany when it's take the $10 million or miss out. Everybody, Everybody's smart about those kinds of decisions, aren't they? Everybody's got the intelligence to make that kind of decision. Signed for the $10 million. Again, it's not like he's playing for chicken feed. It's not like he's playing, you know, for ham hocks and, you know, uh, fava beans. You know, he's playing for, you know, a pretty good chunk of change. And again, you know, if he can do this in back-to-back years, which we really haven't seen since his first two years in the league, if he can do it in back-to-back years, then he'll get that contract. Or... He'll cash in for on a one- or two-year deal with either the Giants or somebody else. There are ways to cash in still. You don't have to necessarily get the five-year deal and all that kind of stuff. I know that's what guys want because they want security. But, again, when, you, when you're in that position, especially in running backs in the NFL, it wasn't unique, by the way, too, to, to Saquon Barkley. He wasn't unique. They, they didn't just isolate him and, and do this to him. Josh Jacobs and everybody else did not get paid. They don't look at it the same way as they do quarterbacks. They'll hand over a whole bunch of money to quarterbacks at the end of the day. They won't always do that with running backs. That's his bugging Chuck Reed. All right, coming back for the top of the hour, we'll hear from A.J. Terrell, and we'll react to what he had to say. Chuck Reed, Key Studios, Sports Radio, 910 on the Game, Odyssey.com app.